Hi, listeners. You can now listen to this community podcast production ad-free on Apple Podcasts and access the podcast one week early and get exclusive bonus content. Just hit the subscribe button now on Apple Podcasts. Or if you want access to all of the above, plus video versions of the podcast, head to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. Stop the Killing is proud to be supported by our sponsor, EZPA. EZPA is an integrations-capable communication software that connects older building systems, such as signage and public address systems, to modern software technologies, such as panic alarms and mass communication systems. Go to EZPA.com, that's E-Z-Y-P-A.com, to learn how to integrate your systems today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. I'm Sarah Ferris, true crime podcaster. And I'm Catherine Schweit, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. And you're listening to Stop the Killing. Well, welcome back to Stop the Killing. This is a part two episode, which we don't do very often, but we had quite the unusual case last episode. And that was because we had, what it's not, is it a septuagenarian? Is that the right word? Septa, 72-year-old. Mm-hmm. Right, a septuagenarian shooter, which is, aside from our season one episode on the Holocaust Museum shooting, it's the only other case in four seasons that has had somebody of that age. But having said that, literally two days after the Monterey Park shooting, you sent me a little email with this clanger that there was another older shooter. I mean, my, my jaw was on the ground, two for two. Yeah, I was in California at the time, and I was driving from L.A. to San Francisco, and I drove through Monterey Park, and then there was a shooting in Monterey Park. And then I drove through Half Moon Bay, and there was a shooting in Half Moon Bay. Well, I don't want to say that you're the bad mojo, but can you just stay at home for a bit? Perhaps. (laughs) I'm so looking forward to coming to visit. Oh, God! So this is really a definitely a totally different kind of shooting. The one that we spoke about last week was a 72-year-old man who went into a dance studio, an Asian dance studio, and shot 20 people, killing 11 of them. And then eventually he tried to shoot up another dance studio, but the young man who was at the counter took his gun away from him in a struggle. And then he drove away and eventually killed himself when police approached his vehicle. So that individual had you know, in some ways, because he killed himself, it makes it difficult for us to know, you know, why he did it and whether we'll ever really know for sure, yeah. um, you know, why he did it. The situation that we have in Half Moon Bay, which is also in California, beautiful, beautiful area, is different because of a couple of things I will get to. So let me just tell you just a brief about what occurred. This is a beautiful community that pretty much people go to this area because of 
agriculture and tourism. And when I say agriculture, like there's mushroom farms and avocado farms. These are hard jobs for agricultural workers who might come in as migrant workers, Mm -hmm. you know, temporary or they might be there for longer, you know, big families that might be there on site. So on January 23rd, which is two days after the shooting in Monterey Park, completely unrelated, there is another shooting. Yeah, Yeah, another shooting. And this shooter is 66 years old. 66 years old. Okay. So a little bit younger than our last shooter who was 72, but 66. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Also from China, um, had lived in the States for a decade where uh, Monterey Park is 65% at least Asian or Asian American, not necessarily so where this shooting occurs. So here we have a shooter who is 66 years old. And as it turns out, he's been in the States for a long time, at least a decade, and he works at this location where the shooting occurs. Okay. Yeah. Different kind of shooting, right? Totally. Inside the business. Inside the business, right? Workplace shooting. And again, there were two shootings. And the first shooting that occurred is at this mushroom farm where he worked. Okay. And he's dissatisfied and he comes in. It's like two in the afternoon at this mushroom farm in Half Moon Bay. He comes to this place and police you know, who first respond, find four deceased victims there right away, right? Okay. With gunshot wounds. The fifth one who survived was airlifted to another hospital. And the, the shooter, he arrives, he shoots a bunch of people. He leaves and goes to another place to try to shoot a bunch of people. The first place where he shoots at the mushroom farm is where he works. He has a beef with his boss. He doesn't like certain things, right? So then he leaves and he goes to another place where he had previously worked and he shoots at that farm too. Wow. Okay. So the really horrible uh, thing about this is uh, he's shooting with a semi-automatic pistol. Again, people hear semi-automatic, they think rifle, semi-automatic rifle, semi-automatic pistol. They both Mm -hmm. operate the same way, right? And they both fire a lot of rounds very fast, which is, you know, just the terrible part of it is he was able to shoot so many people so fast, right? By way of background, seven months earlier, a manager at another place allegedly opened fire with a handgun at a co-worker's trailer following a dispute, right? He was later charged with attempted murder. So according to the mayor in this town, right, it's really difficult because in some cases, there might be undocumented or people who aren't legal in the country right, and they are right. working at these mi- as migrant yeah. farmers and that makes it hard to investigate, right? That was earlier, you know, another shooter who wasn't this guy, right? Yeah, so it's so, unrelated, but it's there's unrelated, like, but there's full the, in the community and I'm imagining people shut down and don't share information because they're trying mm-hmm. to protect each other. Right, exactly. So yeah. like in this case, police get called about a shooting. They come yeah. to this mushroom farm located in Half Moon Bay. When they get there, there's four people already deceased. This fifth person has to be transferred. And as they're arriving at the scene, the gunman drives two miles away, very close by, two miles away to another farm. And he's driving in his like little SUV and he fires and shoots three more people. Wow. Some of the victims were his coworkers. 
Yeah. The first place he not only worked, he lived there because migrant workers often live in horrible conditions sometimes at the sites of where they're working. So at both of these locations, there are kids all over the place. Oh, my goodness. Is he targeting these specific people at this next farm or is it indiscriminate? He's shooting shooting adults. He knows some of the people that he's shooting. Some of them are people that he's worked with before. Mm -hmm. Right. So he kills three people at the second farm. Yeah. And no kids are hit. And he takes off. Small mercies. Exactly. And this is the interesting thing. He takes off in his car. Mm-hmm. And he drives to the local police substation, parks his car. What? Mm-hmm. And, and what, hands himself in? Mm-hmm. They come outside and gives himself up. Wow, we're going to unpack that one. Um, yeah, like do the math on that. Like, So mm-hmm. our shooter last week drove someplace, parked his van, and when police approached, he killed himself. Yeah. And then this, this guy's done the opposite. He's just mm-hmm. handed himself in. Gosh, there's so many weird similarities, isn't there, though? You know, oftentimes when we've done these cases, the mm-hmm. police are there on site so much quicker in other ones that we've come across, right? There's very little chance for a shooter to get to the second location. But mm-hmm. both of these ones, not only yeah. have we got two elderly shooters, we've got it in the same state that's quite close to each other. and then Two we've got shooters two who different- went to two places. Yeah. Yeah, that's unusual, right? <laughs> it, it really is kind of, uh, it is kind of unusual and it doesn't, yeah. I mean, why, you know, why, why? particularly, oh, I, I think know. the idea that, uh, I did this now I need to move on and do something else. Uh, I just, uh, last week was up at Michigan state university chatting with the police chief and, mm. you know, they had a shooter who shot at a building and then turned around and walked to, to the next building. And I think that we've seen, especially in the FBI's research that we're seeing a lot more shootings out in the open people who are moving from place to place than we did before. So in this case, I think we definitely knocked both of these down as workplace violence, though. He's worked at both places. He knew both places. The victims that he shot, there were five Chinese citizens, Mm -hmm. according to the Chinese consulate in San Francisco. You know, there's a very strong presence of Chinese and Asian Americans, particularly in California. And the victims are 43, 66, 73... 50, 38, and 74. Such a blow to that community, the Asian community in California, Mm -hmm. like two days apart. Yeah, we mentioned this uh, last week, but this was the Lunar New Year. Yeah. Which I know the calendars are a little bit different depending on what Asian community you live in. I think they're a week apart at that time for the New Year. But it was clearly right around the New Year. So, so devastating. And what it did in that, and particularly because I happened to be there at the time, yeah. is uh, not surprisingly, it was all the news, but it also put everybody so on edge mm-hmm. that you never knew when another shooting would happen. And there were so many New Year's events that were canceled, you know, just parades and all kinds of events and the struggle to say, okay, well, if we cancel it because we want to keep everybody safe or we want to be respectful or do we host it because we want to go on with life and we don't want the shooter to control our community. Yeah. It's a it's tough, a tough decision. It is a tough yeah. one. And now a word from our sponsor. EasyPA is an integration capable communication software that connects older building systems, such as signage and public address systems, to modern software technologies, such as panic alarms and mass notification systems. Additional features include built-in automated bell schedules, remote access, text-to-natural voice announcements, 
and custom audio playlists. EZPA is one of the only full-service public address and communications companies that has in-depth knowledge on both the hardware and software aspects of communication and evacuation-based products. As a solution-based company, they offer design, supply, installation, and maintenance of all their products. And for use in schools, EZPA software provides multi-zone capabilities, pre-scheduled daily announcements and bells, and a remote alert button that can be accessed from anywhere in the school. Once a panic alarm is triggered, law enforcement is notified immediately. EZPA makes schools safer from any threat. Go to EZPA.com. That's E-Z-Y-P-A dot com to learn how to integrate your systems today. If you want to be a reseller or integrations partner, visit EZPA.com to learn more. That's E-Z-Y-P-A dot com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Let's kind of round it off with a couple of topics that we always explore i mean we've got a live shooter at this stage was there any you know lead up that came out of the investigation afterwards in terms of you know the pathway to violence was there leakage do we understand why what the 66 year old shooter did turn himself into police you know seven people dead one injured two locations and he obviously charged with uh, first degree murder and other counts there were some things that maybe when you think about workplace violence and the leakage and what leads up to things, so often it's kind of the slowly boiling frog. So in this case, he's older, he's worked a long time, he works long hours. He tells the police how he resents the hours that he works, how he gets bullied sometimes at work, and you know conflicts that he has with people at the farms where he's working. And one of the things that when we talk about behaviors of concern that we look for, but then also the triggering events, the stressor triggering events, and those are kind of different. One one is the behaviors that lead up to a decision and the planning to commit a violent act, a targeted violent act, but the next might be the reason why they choose that time or that day or that moment. And in this case, one of the things that could be is that although he had told police that he was sorry that he carried out this shooting, he had been told by his boss that there was some damage to a forklift that he said he had, didn't do the damage, his coworker did the damage, and they wanted him to pay $100. Right. So $100. $100 and all those lives. Oh, my goodness. Right. $100 for somebody who's working, you know. Yeah. digging mushrooms, working whatever his job was at the mushroom farm. And so that's the really scary thing, right? If that was his triggering event and that $100 he just didn't want to pay or he couldn't afford to pay. And so it was just the end for him. So yeah. a lot of times this is where we hear people in the news and neighbors say he snapped. I was about to say that and I was I was loathe to say it because I know that you would have wrapped me over the rest. So I was biting my tongue. <laughs> but was there preparation? Had he made preparation? 
Because if he hasn't made preparation, but he just had access to a weapon at work, then did he did he just snap? No, he didn't just snap. But I can see why you say that, because when you think about snapping, you think, oh, well, it, he went out and did it. But when you think about preparation, the preparation is not just uh, buying a weapon and carrying ammunition, which was very unusual in a lot right, of, for okay, most people, good. right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. he bought weapons, he had ammunition, but he had also complained, had problems at work, had conflicts at work over... Both places too. I was thinking, and you know, just completely unfounded, don't know much about that, but I was thinking, you know, you've got two workplaces and you've got grievances with both mm-hmm. places, you know, sometimes you might be thinking you might be the problem, not the workplaces, but yeah, so know. So that's that concept of, oh, he just snapped. Oh, it's the idea that if you think about the continuum of your frustration, say you're mad at your buddy and you end up punching him. Yeah. You're frustrated the entire time. You're mad. You're fighting the entire time. And then you choose to raise a fist and punch him. Yeah. Your temperament towards your friend or former friend hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. Right. It's mm-hmm. just that that when people look at the snap concept, they say, oh, well, he committed this extra thing. What yeah. if before you raised your fist and punched your buddy, you pushed him in the shoulder? That's why snapping isn't the right term, because that implies that there was no forethought. There was no frustrations ahead of time. Yeah. And maybe that's not a fair use of that word. But the about- idea that no one knew this could yeah. possibly happen. What about that concept of instead of snapped, it's the last straw? Mm-hmm. Right. I think it's the triggering event. It's the last straw. And yeah. I think if we switch to, say, this firing at his job was the last straw, I think that's fair. Because it's or that as, build up before it rather mm-hmm. than this event that's come out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So if you're looking for the build up, a lot of times people see the build up and they just say, oh, well, you know, oh, well, oh, well, oh, well. and it's the buildup that makes the triggering event so substantial. It's like when you blow up at your kid for, you know, for throwing their laundry next to the laundry basket when it's really not that one piece of clothing every time. Oh, it never is. <laughs> I was trying to t- week of telling you to get it off the floor in the first place. <laughs> I can totally relate to that, Catherine, surprisingly. <laughs> it's the buildup. It's the buildup. That's exactly it. That's what I was trying to say. I think I hit... I think I hit the nail on the head with that. You one. really did. Yeah. That's so funny. So, the really bad situation here is that the individual in this situation, they're not living in the best of conditions. And the owners of the migrant farms say that they are going to, you know, they're going to try to improve the way these people live. Uh, you know, one of the places where they put people up in these migrant situations is in shipping containers. They're temporary and they can yeah. move them when they need them. And, you know, so in this case, not necessarily a great situation no. either, but adding to the stress and the tension and whatever was the buildup for this individual mm-hmm. where he was just on that progressive pathway mm-hmm. to violence. And just like you said, and this was the last straw, or as I had somebody once say to me, I have one nerve left and you are standing on it. And I love that. My God, that is just such a great line. It's so true. It really kind of describes, it's like, normally I'm okay, but right now I have one nerve left and you're standing on it. And it sounds like that's what happened in this guy's case. Whatever it was, he just ran out of that ability to hang on any longer, but it was on that pathway. And I think we want to always look for that pathway. 
mm. uh, that they're on where they're so frustrated. And I hope people don't I think I'm making light of this uh, horrible situation. There's seven people dead at two locations, uh, one person injured. You know, honestly, this older shooter who's choosing to shoot people yeah. uh, could have simply said, I just want to have a warm bed to sleep in and food. And I can do that if I go to jail for the rest of my life. I mean, who, who knows what he's thinking? You know, in a couple of days, we have nearly 30 people shot, nearly 20 killed in two communities not too far away from each other. Mm. I mean, they're not on top of each other, but yeah, so, so sad. And, and also just the idea of having these older shooters. It's interesting how we're seeing, and maybe that's the gun availability, but we're seeing more older shooters. We're seeing more younger shooters. Maybe it's the volume of guns that we have in the States, but when people ask me, who, who are we looking for? My answer is you're looking for everybody. You're looking for everybody. There is no demographic. We do have male shooters, primarily male shooters, yeah. but that's the only demographic. So you look at everybody around you and say, is this person troubled? Do they have access to guns? That's the math. Thanks for listening. And if you want to know more, Catherine's book, Stop the Killing, is out now. For more details, go to katherineschweit.com. Please consider also supporting our independently made podcast. It's simple to do. Go to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. And for as little as the price of a latte a month, you can be part of the solution to stop the killing. Patreon rewards range from official do-gooder status to ad-free episodes, autographed books, and opportunities to connect with us directly for your business, school, church, or even just a book club chat. But just knowing that you are part of a movement that has the power to make your community safer, well, that's got to taste better than a skinny cappuccino any day. So please head to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing now and polish off your do-gooder halo and make sure to include your name so we can give you a shout out. This podcast is a community podcast production. That's con with an N. If you want more content, then head over to Community Podcast at Instagram, where you'll find trailers on more binge-worthy true crime, like the award-winning podcast Conning the Con. And check out our show notes for all the links mentioned. Finally, if you want one takeaway action that you can do right now that can help make our community safer, Please share, rate and review this podcast wherever you listen. Everybody needs to know that they hold the keys to see something and say something. Together, we can stop the killing. It's one of those things you hope never happens, but you better train for it. Because it will happen. And it will happen in places you wouldn't expect. Be ready for it. up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Bravery Academy. My name is Emma Ferris and I'm your host. This podcast is crafted to share the stories of courageous individuals who've overcome adversity and found the courage to live their best lives. We'll explore the science of well-being, courage and connection and interview top thought leaders, game changers and survivors. And it's from these stories that we learn what resilience is. 
how to heal, how to recover, and how to be brave.